The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Please turn, if you would, one last time to the book of Romans. And this is going to be our, our last message as we have spent many weeks now, I think 20 weeks now, looking at different aspects of God's attributes or His character, who He is and how that should impact us, how we should reflect His nature and His qualities. This month, Lord willing, we are going to also look at some psalms with some other aspects of God that aren't in the book of Romans. We're going to look at His greatness and nearness and other attributes. And then in August... We're going to start the book of Exodus. I have been looking forward to studying this book, the next book that we'll be going through, looking forward to journey with you and Israel in that book that's really a paradigm of salvation for all of Scripture. But today we're going to come now to the end of Romans 16 and verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel... And the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. This is God's Word. And if you think of the book of Romans as a fireworks show, in light of what is going on around us, and some of you have already seen some of those, some of you maybe will tomorrow night, that the book of Romans really is putting God's multicolored beauties and glories on display in the power of the gospel. And, And the book starts with with darkness, and then God's splendor lights up what is dark, and and there's an order even in how these attributes come as they're exploding on the backdrop of others. God's wrath is revealed from heaven, he says in chapter 1, and then his eternal power and his divine nature are clearly seen in the creation above, and his righteousness is revealed from first to last He says, his goodness and his mercy follow as well. And in the middle of the book, you see his his kindness and his severity together. Behold the kindness and severity of God. We see justice and mercy also come together in this book. And it's something to be admired, but there's also a a fire to be careful of. There is the, the holiness of God that can consume And what Paul is doing is he's putting all these different attributes together, and he wants us to look up. He wants us to see God. He wants us to be dazzled. He wants us to be amazed and to praise. And if you're watching, you can't help but say, oh, like Paul does at the end of Romans 11. Oh, and then he enumerates several attributes of God. And then if you think of this finale now as ending with a, with a bang, chapter 16, verse 20, booms the, the God of peace who's going to soon bring Satan to an end. And then verse 19 ends with good, and verse 20 ends with grace, and there's more of these big attributes. And then verse 26 ends with the eternal God, and then verse 27, to the only wise God be glory. But we're not just to walk away from this, like you might walk away from a fireworks show, maybe even tomorrow night. God's truth is to keep echoing and reverberating, and, and as we walk from here, we should continue to talk about this. As we go to our homes or our, our jobs, the book of Romans, these truths about God need to impact us. And this last section here is a benediction, which is a commission to go out and to live out what he has been saying in this book. And so look again at the end of verse 26. According to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Romans 1 through 11, we could say, is gospel content. Romans 12 through 16 is gospel 
commands, or you can think of the indicative, the statements of who God is and what he's done, and then the imperatives, what we are called to do. But here we see that obedience of faith is what's to come about from all of this. We know from Romans that faith alone saves. That's what sola fide means. Faith alone is what saves, what, what justifies. But this faith is, is not alone. There is an obedience of faith. True faith trusts and obeys. And this isn't optional. In fact, the language here is this is the eternal God's command. And Romans 1 verse 5 begins saying this, We have received grace to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name. It's for the sake of God's name. That means His character. It's, it's by His grace that we've received. It's for His glory. It, it's all to bring about the obedience of faith, that we would obey the faith that we profess. This book begins and ends with its purpose. Romans 1.5 and here in Romans 16, verse 26. So from beginning to end, these are the bookends. This is what this book is about. This is the biblical goal of, of the gospel as he lays it out. Faith that obeys God. This is also at the end of Matthew's gospel when Jesus gives that great commission to make disciples. He ends with these words, teaching them to obey all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Not just teaching them all that he commanded, teaching them to obey. That's essential to our mission. We receive grace, Paul says, to bring about the obedience of faith. This attribute of God's grace is to produce grace-empowered obedience. Not, not by any sort of works any of that gets us to heaven. Faith alone saves, but that faith in, in gratitude and because of the power of the gospel then seeks to obey from a new heart. So this truth about God is to bring about transformation in us by renewed minds. That's what Paul says when he turns the corner in chapter 12, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so today we're going to see God's character and our commitment, not just in the closing verses, but in, in the closing chapters, because this is all one section of Romans 12 through 16. So look at chapter 16, verse 26. To the only wise God be glory forever. That's very similar to what he says at the end of chapter 11. He says, Oh, the wisdom of God from him and through him and to him be glory forever. Therefore, in view of all that God is in chapter 1 through 11, Paul urges obedience in chapter 12 through 16. And so we're going to walk through these closing chapters, this last section, one last time, to apply the truths of God from chapters 1 through 11. Today we're going to look at four character attributes of God and then four commitments for us as a church. Four character attributes of God, four commitments or actions for us as a church. And the first one is... This, number one, by God's mercy, commit to church worship. By God's mercy, commit to church worship. Romans 16 ends with, to God be glory forevermore. Look back at chapter 15, verse 9, for how God gets glory, specifically for his mercy in in worship together as a church, chapter 15, verse 9, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Those are commitment statements. I will praise. I will sing. And it's driven by God's mercy. The, the Psalms say things like this many times. I will sing. I will praise. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing. I will sing aloud of your mercies. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His mercies endure forever. That one's repeated, I think, maybe ten times in the Psalms, that statement. But Paul says, not just I, and he's speaking of I myself as a Jew in this context, I will praise among the Gentiles. And he's writing to a church that was largely Gentiles in, in Rome. Verse 10, again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, 
with his people. And the, the Gentiles are also called to rejoice with, with the Jews. And, and this would be for all the, all the peoples of God. Worship with God's people is a command. This is not something we can just do on live stream at home. We're called to worship with God's people. If we're physically able, we're called to be with and to worship with God's people. And there's a joy in that. Look at verse 32. He says, rejoice in verse 10 and then in verse 32, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Paul said earlier he was eager to to, to be with them so they might mutually encourage each other in the faith. He wanted to see them face to face. There's something about being face to face, being able to encourage, mutually encourage each other. That's important with the church. And, and God mercifully meets us in church worship. We're not always refreshed. We're not always joyful naturally, but there's something about what happens here that can produce that as God meets us where we are, and can produce rejoicing, and can produce refreshing. It's God's will that we come in joy to church worship and to sweet fellowship. And so part of our covenant as a church, we commit not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together as Hebrews commands us to. It's because we need to be encouraged. We need to encourage one another, as Hebrews says. We'll go to just... Staying in Romans, go to Romans 12, verse 1. And so the first attribute we're looking at is mercy, and then the first action is worship. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So that's the attribute he's appealing to, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And again, that's language of commitment A living sacrifice means putting self on the altar to worship with God's people. And it's interesting, the word bodies is plural in the original language, but the word sacrifice is singular. So we tend to often read Scripture individualistically, but this is actually a place where it's it's not just your bodies as a bunch of sacrifices. It's talking about the the bodies of people coming together, souls and bodies coming together as one living sacrifice, one sacrifice. It's a a corporate, it's a a community worship. This is not talking about solo praise here. This is talking about a big sacrifice together. This, This isn't our individual quiet time of worship, which is important This is emphasizing worship with a gathered church body. And as we think about worship, I would encourage you to to not think in terms of a a consumer or even the way some Christians think, what did you get out of worship today? And the idea is, was it acceptable to you? Did Did it please you? Did the songs or the sermon please you? When worship is not about you, Worship is about God. That's who we come for. The question you should ask is, was your heart acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship? If you didn't come in view of God's mercies, that God would be merciful to you, a a sinner, if you didn't come to present yourself as as a sacrifice, if you weren't singing to please Him, you weren't doing spiritual worship like verse 1 defines Because it's not about what you get out of it. It's about what you put into it. It's not about the the style for me. It's about the sacrifice of me. That's the language. A living sacrifice means laying down my preferences, laying down what I want. And that needs to be burned up by who God is. We need to worship Him acceptably as a holy and consuming God and Verse 2 ends with God's will, not ours. And verse 3 says, We're not to think of our, ourselves more highly, which is kind of our default natural tendency. We need to think of God more highly. And, and chapter 11 is going to end with, It's all about God's glory. Then chapter 12 starts with God's mercy. In view of God's Mercy. Remember when we looked at mercy a few weeks ago, mercy is not getting what we deserve as sinners. 
If we got what we deserve, we wouldn't be here. We would be suffering the wrath of God. We would be dead and suffering his eternal separation and wrath in hell. But by God's mercy, we are here. By God's mercy, we were able to get out of bed this morning and come here. We're still breathing and we're still living and we have hearts that want to be here that before in the past would have never wanted that. And so God has not given us what we deserve, and this attribute of God as merciful calls for an attitude of sacrificial and humble and thankful worship. We're just thankful. And so we come, and it's about Him and not about us. So by God's mercy, we commit to church worship and submit to leadership is the second part of it. And that's, that's also part of the sacrifice language in Scripture. If you turn over to Hebrews 13... I think sometimes we think of sacrifice, well, that's just for the Old Testament. But it's in the New Testament as well. Not animal sacrifices. But the sacrifice language includes what we commit to God and others and how we submit. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him, this is through Christ, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Or other translations say they give thanks to his name. Verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So so part of our sacrifice is our sacrifice of praise to God, but also sacrificing to share with others, doing good. And then verse 17, in, in that vein, obey your leaders and submit to them. So remember, Romans talked about the obedience of faith. Obey is one of those words our, our culture doesn't like, but obedience is all over Scripture. And I think we need to qualify the leaders here are from verse 7, speaking the Word of God. So what we obey is not just an opinion of man. We obey the, the Word of God as it's taught, obey. And then it also says, and submit to them. Submitting means you're putting yourself under them. This is the word used of a, a wife to her husband, and that doesn't mean she, she can't appeal or, or she doesn't have a say. In fact, it's, it's good for her to appeal and to discuss with her leader, but ultimately this word submit means you support the decision and the position of the one you submit to. This is the word they use in their culture for submission of soldiers in a regiment, and subjecting themselves to that. You can think of a, a, being a church member as a local regiment of God's army. We're, we're committing ourselves to this regiment. We're all, we're all to subject ourselves to our commander, but there are leaders that are under him that we come under as well. And what are these leaders to do in verse 17? It says, For they are keeping watch over your souls as, the, as those who will have to give an account. It's the language of accountability, which is so important in the church. And, and to submit to that, to, to seek accountability, to submit to that, to not resist that, even though our culture tells us to. And then it says of these leaders, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So this is a high calling for leaders, and I think there's no mistake that the next thing this leader says is pray for us. And that's what I would say to pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. We desire that. That doesn't always come across or doesn't always come or, or, or be accomplished the way we desire but we need prayer. We need prayer. We need, your leaders need prayer. Pray for us. Pray for us. There's difficult things that we as leaders are always dealing with. Pray for us. And then what we need above all is the great shepherd to equip us, as he says in verse 20. And then the end of verse 21, it's to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's all about him. It's all about his glory. That's what helps 
leaders in difficulty keep going for his glory. That's what helps people who serve to keep going. And this is also our church purpose statement. This is how Romans 11 ends, but this is our church purpose statement. This church exists by the grace of God for the glory of God, which will be the ultimate purpose in all we do. That's what soli deo gloria means right behind me here. It's all about him. To God alone be glory. That's, that's what it's all about. And then we're to glorify him in all we do under that in our church purpose statement is this church will seek to glorify God by the worship of God. By the worship of God like we're seeing here. That can include praise, preaching, and prayer. Worship isn't the singing time. Worship is, is all that we offer up to God. This is corporate worship. And then we're to continue to worship throughout the week. So the worship of God, and then the second one that's listed in our purpose statement is loving God and obeying His commands. And so that takes us to the second point in our study today, the second attribute and the the second action in light of it. By God's love, commit to walk together in love and unity. By God's love, commit to walk together in love and unity and watch over one another in love. I'll say that one more time. By God's love, commit to walk together in love and unity and watch over one another in love. This is the attribute of God that's throughout Romans, but especially in chapter 5. Paul talks about God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it talks about his love in Romans 8 also. That, that love, that, what's going to separate us from the love of God? There, there's, no, there's nothing in the past, present, or future that can separate us from the love of God. Paul says, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? I mean, that's a truth that should, that should impact our hearts. There's nothing that can separate us from that love. That's the kind of love that the second half of the book, or the last four chapters of the book, calls us to model and to be motivated by. So look at Romans 15, where Paul appeals by this for our unity and for our, our prayer. Romans 15, verse 5, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony it's another word for unity with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In light of all his love that he's shown us, the Father through the, through the Son, that we would be unified, that we would with one voice in harmony glorify him. But notice verse 30 of chapter 15, how he appeals. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Paul said in chapter 5, it's, it's through the Spirit that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. He, he pours out his love in us through, this, through the Spirit. Paul says in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And we've studied love through 1 Corinthians 13 in our past study, but all of that is in mind here when he appeals by God's love to family. Notice he says, I appeal to you, brothers. This is family language, brothers and sisters. And so I would encourage you, even as you don't think of church membership so formally, think of this is my family that I want to grow with. I want the help of of church family members. We're part of the same family to, to follow God. And and to recognize we all need leaders. We all need mature believers in our church family to lovingly urge and to exhort and to appeal to us like Paul does. And in fact, the language he uses in his appeal is literally coming alongside to help. Romans 12, verse 1, someone who comes alongside, who is... Who is there for you? They're on your side. They're they're urging you on because they care for you. They love you, and and you can tell that. This is the language Paul uses to the Thessalonians. He says, "I was as a 
as a father encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. Because he was invested in them as family. And we need to be invested in that same way. And, and part of what our, our church commits to do as well is, is parents. And we say this every time people join our, our, our church as well. This is one of those commitments. We commit to raise up in the Lord those who are in our care, in our family, in our, our children. And as you think of families, families need discipline. And, and discipline in your family, if you grew up in a loving home, you, you knew the goal of that is your dad or your mom disciplined you was to restore that relationship. So you wouldn't keep going down that path. There, there's times where family intervention is needed with a family member who is, is going astray. It's not loving to not say or do anything. And so we think of church, family, discipline, or restoration, or intervention, or, or family exhortation with the goal of restoration is part of what Scripture calls us to and what we commit to. And before a loving intervention with others, we, we try, we're called to try caring correction in private first. This is what Pastor Corey talked about a, just a few weeks ago, where you go to them just between the two of you, or one-on-one, or, one, or, or you, if you need help, you ask another one or two to help you restore. If, if you perceive you need help in that process, that's what Galatians 6 says. You who are spiritual, seek to restore in a spirit of gentleness. And then the passage that Corey talked about in Matthew 18 talks about if you won't repent or listen, tell it to the church. And, and, and the motive in that, when that's had to be, and we've had to do that publicly at times here, is we're telling this church family so that you will pray and so that you will also plead with that person if you know them and call him or her back to their family. See, this watching over one another in love is what believers are called to do. And I praise the Lord one time we had to go through that process. A, a divorcing couple in this church was reconciled years ago, after we had told the church, the church family prayed and, and came around, and there was, by God's grace, repentance and a public welcome back as a restored family in this church family. All of that is given to us by God's love, but the results are up to him. But this, the point here is this family exhortation is getting the family involved in loving efforts for reconciliation. This is not just what pastors or elders are called to do. In fact, we're all called to do this on some level in Romans 15, verse 14. Look at Romans 15, 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. He's writing to the church now, not to the leaders. He's writing to the church in Rome. I'm satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Your Bible might have the word admonish there. It's translated warning in some places, but I think Ephesians, our scripture reading earlier in Ephesians, speaking the truth in love is what we're all called to do. This isn't something just for others. This is what we're called to do with people we're in relationship with. If I go back to chapter 12, verse 9, because if we genuinely love people, what is hurtful to them should impact us and should move us. Romans 12, verse 9, let love Be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. I like the New American Standard wording. Give preference to one another in honor. Because this is where in a more day-to-day or week-to-week or even today, you have preferences about how things should be or about how other people should be doing things, how the church should be doing things. You have preferences. Some of you have strong preferences about church, and, and none of us get all our preferences, even leaders. We, we have preferences that we, we need to set aside when we can, when it's not a, a biblical conviction or sin. There, there's times where we need to honor and defer in love. New King James, verse 10, says, Be kindly affectionate to one another. And so I have to ask you, how is your kindness coming across? How is your affection for fellow believers coming across? 
Because this is, again, this is something we need to be obedient to what the faith calls us to. Is your, is your love genuine? And think of specific people, even specific relations, specific conversations. And, and sometimes it's, it's actually good if you're not sure to go to ask someone, was, did I come across loving in that conversation? Uh, am I kind? Did you feel my kindness? Do you know I love you? Do I care about you? Is there a way that you can honor or prefer someone that you can set aside above yourself? This is part of what Romans 13 says. We owe love to one another. To love neighbors as ourselves. Love is the fulfillment of the law, he says. And he says, as we think of members of the body, 1 Corinthians 12, those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there would be no division in the body, but that members would have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. He says, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We're all connected, he's saying. And so these church members in Romans 12, verse 13, also are rejoicing in hope, and it goes on to say that we're to be patient in tribulation. We need to be, we heard in Ephesians, we need to be patient, forbearing with one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That takes humility and long suffering. Verse 13 of Romans 12 contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So think about this past week. Have, have you prayed for people in your church, in your family? It, it's maybe more easy for you with parents or, or grandchildren to, to pray for them, but this is your family spiritually. Are you praying for your church? And, and if you're struggling, are you patient? Have you been patient in what you're wrestling with or who you're wrestling with? It, have you shown hospitality to someone recently? Think about that. Have you, in, sh- in some way, shown hospitality to someone recently? If not, who is, who is someone, even as you look around this room, who is someone that you can seek to be hospitable to? That's a love to strangers, welcoming them into your life or home in some way, or even meeting them and getting to know them. Who can you seek to? What what are some, when it talks about contributing to the needs of the body, do you contribute to the needs of others? Are there people you're watching over in brotherly love? Are are there people, if if they're not here, you're concerned for them, you reach out to them? See, we're called to be in each other's lives. This is, when Paul talks about the obedience of the faith, God's what he has done for us and his love needs to produce this kind of love for others that we would watch over them and this unity that we are to pursue. We'll talk about a little bit later about forgiveness, but seeking to avoid dissension is one of the things our church commits to as well and says is, and reminds ourselves of that, that covenant and that commitment. But this is important for communion which we'll celebrate a little bit later. But there's a third attribute and a third action. By God's grace, that's the attribute, by God's grace, commit to contribute cheerfully and willingly to support and serve. Commit to contribute cheerfully and willingly to support and to serve his church. This is also in Romans 12. Look at verse 6 having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So there's grace given to us in our gifts. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. God's character attribute of grace Grace is the flip side of mercy. Mercy is not getting what we 
deserve not getting the judgment our sins deserve. Grace is receiving the favor that we don't deserve. God's grace is giving us favor that we don't deserve. It's an unearned gift. Gift is tied up with this word, and grace is, also includes gifts that we have that we're to use. So God's character attribute is grace, and our commitment action as a church is to cheerfully and willingly support and serve with the gifts He gives us by His grace. This is also part of our, our church commitment statements. And maybe you think you're not worthy to serve. Well, you can get over that because none of us are. We're not worthy in and of ourselves. But there is someone who is worthy for us. There is the worthy lamb who was slain. There is Christ who is worthy of us serving him. But, but none of us on our own merits are worthy. We come through him and to him. And if our heart is focused on him, he delights to use us unworthy sinners. Maybe you'll feel unqualified. So do I. And inadequate. I remember saying when I came here to the church, what I, what I make up for in inadequacy, I have in inexperience and immaturity. I mean, we, all the time, there's times where I just feel inadequate. And, and, and what do we do when we feel that? We ask God to help us to be obedient to the faith, to help us to do what he calls us to. So it's dependent on his strength. That's why Peter says, if you serve through the strength which God supplies, he gets the glory. If we think we've got this, oh yeah, I'm, I'm adequate for this. We're not, and he's not getting the glories. Maybe you think there's nowhere to serve. I, I can tell you there's a lot of places to serve. Whether women's ministry, children's ministry, there's always room for people serving in, in AV and security, Thursday nights in the fall, food, meals for people, things you can do behind the scenes, praying for people, getting on our prayer list. Those are all ministries or ways to serve in Scripture, but we're all imperfect servants. God delights to use imperfect people who know it if their heart is right. And so we're not going to walk through all of these, but verse 7 starts with, Serving gifts and then teaching gifts and speaking gifts. Some are gifted at exhorting or prophesying in the sense of insight to apply God's revelation. I don't think new revelation is something God is still giving like he did to Paul and, and others while scripture was being written. But there's leading gifts as well as speaking gifts in verse 8. We're to lead with zeal and, and earnestness and in, and in eagerness. This is the opposite of laziness. And the word is also used in verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. Don't be a sloth. Be fervent in spirit. The, the NIV says never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Maybe some of you kids have seen Zootopia. Do you remember the sloth character there? Slow to speak, slow to do anything. Or, or some of you kids know your, your mom or dad tells you to do something and you're just... You're just very slow to respond or even say anything. Proverbs talks about a, a sluggard. That's kind of the Old Testament equivalent of this. That's not how we're to serve. Some of us adults aren't much better at serving when there's needs with fellow believers. But, but we're called to serve the Lord with gladness in God's word. We're not just to serve. We're to serve with gladness. And when our heart isn't glad that we would ask God to 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 restore to us the joy of our salvation so that we would serve. It, it's to be our pleasure. We should all be able to say, it's my pleasure. And verse 8 talks about being merciful and cheerful as we give. God loves a cheerful giver. We're to give generously by grace. In verse 18, verse 8 talks about financial contributions. We're to be generous in giving to the Lord's work. If you were with us last Sunday night, you heard some praises of the, of the generosity of, of people giving in this church. And we need to continue to do that. We're called to do that, but we praise the Lord. I praise the Lord for many in this building who are generous givers. And as we think about 
not just giving monthly, but giving to missions or, or giving to other ministries or opportunities. We need to think of grace. And so if you only think of giving in the sense of tithing, 10% of a paycheck or an in- income, you're going to miss the New Testament focus on, on the generous giving of all of our time, talent, and treasure, and, and the fact that all that we have is, is from God and through God and to God. It's not just a certain percent. All that we have is from Him. We need to think about all that we have. Can we glorify Him in it? He owns everything. That's the treasure principle. We're managers or stewards of what God has entrusted to us, but, but not given to us. He owns it all. He doesn't need us in that sense, but we need to give back to him, and it expands our heart. And it's, Randy Alcorn calls it in his book, Treasure Principle, giving is a joyful surrender to God's greater agenda. It shows where our heart is. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as we, we think about this, we think about that concept of a treasure, I need to also ask you, is Jesus your treasure? Is his kingdom what matters to you? Do you trust in Jesus is another way to say, do you treasure Jesus? Jesus? Do you love the Lord? And in Romans, it's those who, who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose, that all things work together for good. That's another way to say those who are Christians, those who love the Lord. They don't just have intellectual knowledge. There's, there's an intimacy. There's a love. If you don't love the Lord, Corinthians says, there is judgment that comes to those who do not love the Lord. So do you trust the Lord? Do you love the Lord? Is he your treasure? If not, I would urge you in light of all the attributes we've seen of God and his grace and his goodness and his kindness. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if your heart does not yet has not yet turned and trusted and treasured in Jesus. Come to this Jesus. Come to this one who has shown us all of God's attributes. He's, he's revealed everything about God, the glories of God, the beauties of God in his own life here on earth. He has shown us the God of compassion. He has shown us that wonderful, merciful Savior in his life. But we've got to trust in his life. We've got to turn from our sins and trust him as Lord and Master. We've got to repent whatever else we're trusting and come to Him and love Him. And He will not cast out anyone who comes to Him sincerely. Those who seek Him, He will reward. But if you've never come to Him in that way, I would urge you this day, come to the Lord Jesus in faith and in the obedience of faith. He commands all people everywhere to repent. That is the command of the gospel that you must obey today. You don't know when your last day will be. You don't know when the wrath and the judgment and justice that Romans talks about will come. But if you come to Jesus today, you can be saved from the wrath of God. Call out to him. Romans says, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's got to be your Lord, your Master, your Savior. I would call upon you to call upon Him this very day, even this very moment. And if you need help with that, or there's other spiritual or sin issues in your life, anything you need help with, my brother and my sister always up front would love to talk with you and pray with you afterwards. But fourthly and finally, for God's glory, commit to seek forgiveness and to forgive others. This is all language out of our church commitments, but God's glory is the motivation. We're forgiven our sins for God's glory, Isaiah 43 says. And we're never more like God, as one pastor says, than when we forgive. We reflect His glory when we forgive. And this is part of, we could also say, God's peace. Look at Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. And all these one another's, he's talking especially about the church and especially about the local church. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Don't be proud. But associate with the lowly. That's the humble. 
Don't think you're better than anyone else. Never be wise, it says, in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As far as it depends on you implies and and includes the fact that there are going to be some things that aren't dependent on you. There's only so much you can do. But as far as it depends on you and your own conscience between you and God, are you living peaceably? Are you pursuing peace with all people? This is what we're called to do especially with the body of Christ, but he's going to go on and even talk about enemies and how we're to, at the end of this chapter, think of practical ways that we can show love, maybe even meeting the needs or giving a gift or showing some kindness to our enemies even. Even those who are unbelievers or outsiders, how can we show kindness to them? And that might be what the Lord uses to bring conviction. That's the burning coals on their head. We're not to be overcome by evil, there's so much evil in this world. We're to overcome evil with good. And again, this goes back to Pastor Corey talked about this in the message on the God of peace. When someone has hurt you or offended you, don't tell others. Don't go tell someone in the church. Don't even tell a leader in the church when that happens. In Scripture, your options are you can cover that in love. Maybe that's not a a pattern, maybe that hasn't dis- dis- damaged your relationship or isn't dis- destroying maybe others. You can cover it in love, or you can come to that person one on one and share that fault, share that hurt in private, just between the two of you. And you're wanting to win your brother or sister back. And in that chapter of Matthew, goes on to talk about how we should forgive because God has forgiven us an infinitely greater debt of sin. Like the man with all those talents, I think it was either millions or billions of dollars equivalent that he owed this master and this master forgives him and then he goes after someone else who owed him something far, far less and won't forgive him. And we've got to be able to forgive from the heart. And so don't wait, don't fester, don't be resentful, keep current. If you need to go to someone... Even as we contemplate communion here today, I think Scripture would say to you, go, even talking about bringing your altar to the sacrifice, go, seek to be reconciled to your brother, and then come back to worship. And where there's asking or granting forgiveness, there's often misunderstandings in that, so you go humbly, not presuming you know, but if if you've hurt someone, even if you're not sure that was a sin or what you meant, but you see there's hurt, you can say, well, will you forgive me for that? I'm, I'm sorry that I hurt you. Will you please forgive me? And, and if you say, I forgive you, you're committing not to, not to bring that up again to them or others. It's done. That's deadly and devastating to relationships to then bring it up again if it's truly forgiven. But it, it's going to come up again in your mind, and that's where we've got to remember the gospel. If someone brings up to you an offense they haven't talked to the offender about, I think we, we need to not let that continue. Don't add fuel to a fire or take a side off and on a misunderstanding. You need to tell them, if you haven't gone, brother, Scripture commands you to, to go. To, to badmouth other believers is a serious thing. And so if you've done that, repent. If there's things you need to make right with others, especially believers in the church, pursue peace, pursue harmony. As far as it depends on you, Let me just read from Colossians 3.12 as we wrap up here. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. I think that starts in the heart. We, we could forgive in our heart any grievances we have. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. The Lord has forgiven us some things we haven't asked him for. Over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. These are the commitments of members in the body of Christ. In fact, these four points really summarize the the heart of our church's 
commitments as members when you join. There's going to be, Lord willing, some people joining this month. But these are the things we're committed to. And if you haven't yet committed yourselves to these things and you agree and you see these things from Scripture, I would urge you to, to join in with us to, to seek to obey Together, sometimes people ask, where does the Bible talk about being a member of a church body? Well, Romans 12, verse 5 is, is one of many. It says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And then it talks about those, those members of the, of the body, those body parts. That's language of a, of a connection. They're, they're closely associated. They have different functions, he says, we have different members, we've got different body parts, but this is, this is not a casual or loose association. There's a, there's a connection here. You're joined together, and you're joined by the same lifeblood, we might say. We're joined by the blood of Christ. And so it's really as simple as saying, I belong to you and you belong to me. I want to stay connected for my life and my growth. And the end of verse 5 says, we are members of one another, having gifts. So these commitments, let me just review, by God's mercy, commit to church worship and submit to leadership. By God's love, commit to walk together in love and unity and watch over one another in love. Number three, by God's grace, commit to cheerfully and willingly support and serve his church. And by God's glory, commit to seek forgiveness and to forgive others. If that's your heart, say amen. Amen. Let's pray for God's help. Our great and gracious God, our merciful and glorious and loving God, we thank you for the grace that we are here, that we would even want to be here. I pray for any here who do not yet know your grace in a saving way, that you would impact their lives and their hearts right now. And I pray that each of us would be obedient to the faith in some specific way, from some specific truth we heard from your word today. We pray these things with the help of the Spirit and for the honor of Christ. Amen.